Hey, welcome to the Road and Morale podcast. So do you ever feel like screaming out in the office, on Zoom or outside the school gates, for the love of God, come on, really? Then if this is you and you're looking for an honest, fun and frank podcast on life and business, then sit back and listen to me, Rona Morel. I'll be bringing great people on the show to talk, share and debate their life experiences and business challenges, keeping the show unpolished, but in a fun and unique British style with sarcasm, tenacity, maybe a few swear words or tears. This podcast keeps it real, honest, raw, and removes the bullshit in the only way I know how, through authenticity and getting shit done. Think of it less like the Housewives of New York or TOWIE with the lipo and drama, and more like the house lives of the real world. I hope you'll take something away to be better informed, laugh, smile, or maybe even finally get in the confidence to shout, come on, really. So enjoy. Hi, good morning, Jeff. Welcome to the Rain and Rail podcast. How are you? I'm very well, Rona. Thank you very much for having me. Oh, you are most welcome. Now, I'm going to pronounce um, Jeff's name probably incorrectly, but I'm going to give it a go. I am delighted to have Jeff um, Tugles um not quite there i know it's difficult for us um british very, to say the very right. close very well done <laughs> um, and jeff is very much focused on kind of um planet and people first solutions um, and is an absolute firm believer that businesses of all sizes really can develop more environmentally responsible practices um we be that around circularity or impact etc um jeff is an incredible um human and has written a document that we're going to talk about in a minute that really piqued my interest um but he also acts as a sustainability advisor for rpc which is part of the bmw group um and he's a postdoctoral researcher at the uh, University of Cumbria. And you also teach classes at the Krakow School of Business, um, University and Economics. Wow. Yeah, it's a lot, but it's fun. <laughs> so that's just a very small background okay. um, into uh, Jeff. And, and thanks again for coming on the show. But what we're going to talk about today, if that's okay with you, is you recently wrote um, an article, uh, I'm going to read the title, um, Why is degrowth absolutely existential, but actually a, an abhorrent term? So it would be fantastic, Jeff, if maybe you could start the conversation with what led you to, to write this paper? And then what does degrowth, in your view, actually mean and how does it get misunderstood? Okay, well, let me to, to write this paper is that a couple of months ago, there was the MBA Congress at the Krakow School of Business, University of Economics in Krakow. And the um, central theme of the Congress was degrowth, which I thought was very courageous for a, a business school to do. And during the, um, during the Congress, there were a lot of conversations back and forth and Degrowth is a term that I totally understand, but uh, it, it keeps us in the growth paradigm. Um, okay. So I thought maybe if the label itself provokes already a strong reaction, that might be good. But if it leads to misunderstanding, it might be, it might be not so good. So mm -hmm. I thought, is there a better way to, to frame this? Um, having said that, I totally support content of the degrowth movement. And I totally get it. 
Um, it's just that I had a little bit of trouble with the term degrowth. And for one, there are certain regions in the world that still need growth. Yeah. And if we say, I support degrowth, I am not going to tell um, the poorer countries or those that still need economic development, etc., that they cannot grow. And that was my main issue. It right. is, it's not an inclusive term. It refers to the rich north and west, of which I'm part of. And yes, yes. The, the, the rich north and the rich west and the rich countries, we have to degrow um, more in terms of detox. We have, to, we have to get a detox from our consumerism. And I okay. hope that we don't export that consumerism to, to countries that have not been affected yet by that but that's the that's the background of on why i wrote that paper and and tried to instill a dialogue on maybe we should change the view on on just the label not the content yeah yeah because i think it's a fair point isn't it the, the moment like a word sticks be it the green economy or degrowth everyone can can just takes their own view and assumption of what that what that word means to them. So I guess, yes, if you're in the global South, you're like, are you having a laugh? Hold on a minute. We, <laughs> we haven't even got our basic needs of water, education, yes. nutrition, etc. Exactly. Um, yeah. And then from a kind of West developed point of view, you're like, what, you want to take all my nice things and what, you want to destroy capitalism? So yeah, I, I totally, the, the, the title of the paper resonated. So it, I guess when we, when you look at it, when I look at it, and we divide, I suppose, between um, the global north, the global south. In what ways do we misuse the term um, here in, in the developing world? Oh. Jeff has frozen. I've stunned him into silence. Hopefully Jeff will be back with us in a moment. Um, so I'm just going to keep talking about the subject, actually, if that's OK. So I'm reading a really exciting um, book at the minute called Post Growth, another way of talking about this, um, this kind of topic. Um, Jeff, I'm sure, will join back in in a moment. So I'm going to keep this going for the time being. Um, but one of the main reasons why we um, are talking about degrowth today is the importance of what Jeff touched on in a moment and he's back which is amazing can you give me a thumbs up yes yay okay so I'm sure the listeners don't want to hear me so yeah Jeff back over to you um how does this term get mi misused um I don't think it gets really misused it gets misunderstood okay um it is a provocative term, um, and I guess there's a reason for that. To, to, to get somebody's attention, you have to sort of yeah, shout the loudest, and whoever shouts the loudest gets, gets the attention. So we, we need to get attention. Uh, in that sense, degrowth, I, I can understand why degrowth um, is chosen, but it gets misunderstood, and it's, it's a very attacking term. Mm -hmm. Like I say, uh, in the West, we, we think like, oh, they're going to take away all our comfortable stuff and we cannot do this and we cannot do that anymore. We were very reluctant to give up the things that we acquired and that we, get, that we got used to. Um, so there is this, it, it sort of instills automatically a, a defensive 
approach from whoever is confronted with the term. When I'm talking about degrowth, and if you're from the global north, you say, well, you're going to take away my things. And if you go from the global south to talk about degrowth, well, like you said before, what degrowth? Uh, we, we still haven't got the basic needs yet. So I think it sets you, it sets the dialogue off on the wrong foot. And yes, we get to have the attention. We have to draw attention uh, to, to what we're trying to say. But I think there might be a more positive spin to that. Okay. So not going directly into defense. And I think that's what the term does. And that's my only issue that I have with the term. And going directly into defense is not the greatest dialogue starter. No, and it's not. If you see what's being posted right now on degrowth, is is busting the myths of degrowth. No, it's not this. No, it's not that. So we're losing an awful lot of time and taking away from people's time and attention to, to explain what it's not and what it is. So we, we could have prevented that and sort of, instead of having the defensive um, reaction from your audience, go like, oh, yeah, um, th I, I want yeah. that too. Um, and that's why I said, what, what does everybody want in the global north and the global south? But we want, obviously, the best for the planet, the best for the people. Uh, not everybody the best for the planet, um, uh, mainly due to ignorance, I believe. But if there, if some, what, what unites us? Because we need a united front. What unites the north? What unites the south? It is we all want to flourish. We all want to be uh, physically okay, mentally okay. We have to, our needs have to be met. Um, so we, we have to flourish as, as, as people, as humans, mm -hmm. regardless of where we are. And if we can prosper at the same time uh, as a result of us flourishing, then yeah. I think we have something in common that we can talk about. And then the question becomes, how do we get there? Well, yeah. we'll get there. If I give up something, and you have more of this. I have too much. You have too little. So let's let's divide that more equitably. Yeah. That is a totally different dialogue, I think. Yeah, and you, I think you've touched on a really important point now, which is around um, the, the the imbalance of uh, and the level of inequality um, around. So I think you're right. The word degrowth already goes to defense, and when you start with that, it's like meeting someone for the first time and they come at you offensively you're like whoa hold on a minute and so of course you go into explanation mode I think what would be interesting to understand and you to talk a little bit more about that kind of that that imbalance that people around our basic needs and prosperity you talked about prosperity yeah. and what that means I've been reading recently that actually for the last pretty much four decades certainly here in the the west in the uk mm -hmm. that our economy hasn't really been growing anyway so all this rubbish around you know kind of growth 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 and, and infinite three percent every year essentially what we then see is more people dying of obesity than you know malnutrition um the amount of drugs that are available in in, in the west but we're still really low down in terms of our health and wellness mental health so Surely the surely this imbalance actually is just it's not working for either side. No, uh, um, we do a very lousy job of taking care of ourselves. Uh, if you took a global north, yes, we do have all the material things that we can dream of. Uh, we made enormous advan uh, advances in uh, health. Mm. Um, 
And I had a discussion last week with, with a, a good friend of mine about the health. And we, we said, what is really, what technological advances have we really today that really help all people? And I, we could only come up actually with what's happened in health, not in management, but in health. We can keep people uh, physically at least more um, healthy, longer, etc. cetera. Uh, but then to our consumption patterns, we sort of uh, omit all, all those benefits again. But we then have the pharmaceuticals to, to counter for that. But anyway, that, that's a vicious circle that we're in. Yeah. Um, yeah, so what we don't do right, I think, is really take care of ourselves. Um, because we are living in a capitalist, and, and I don't also don't like the word capitalist, because um, what, what we do away with is adverbs. Right. Uh, what is capitalism? And there's very there are many forms of capitalism. It's a certain form of capitalism. It's a neoliberal capitalism. That that is uh, what we're what we're dealing with here. So we really mm-hmm. have to point what 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 we really mean in terms. Uh, yeah. But it, it drives us just to consume more. Does the economy grow? Not really. Um, do we have an awful lot of problems? Yes. The health management systems, especially also in the UK, uh, with the strikes going on, um, and and people in in health uh, services in the UK rightfully strike, I believe. Um, yes. so, so we're putting patches on, on everything instead of really going to the cause. And the cause is that we're not taking care of ourselves. Now, if you do not take care of yourself, you can also not take care of others. You cannot take care of wildlife. You cannot take care of forests, of nature, of the planet. And it's, um, when, I, when I speak to executives and say, well, the only most important person in this room I can tell for each and every one of you who that is. And they also mm. ask me like he's crazy or there is this clairvoyant uh, man. <laughs> and then I say, well, the most important, according to you, the most important person in this room, in the world is you. Yeah. And then they go on the, um, I do that. That's provoking. So I want them to go on the defense. Uh, they say, well, look, that's true because my, it's my children. I say, no, it's not, it's not your children. It's you because, and, and here's the reason. If you do not take care of yourself, you cannot take care of your children. And that's why in the, on the airplane, they say, in the, in the case of loss of oxygen pressure, uh, put on your mask first. And then, so we know that, but we don't do it. Uh, and we have, we have all the, the means, especially in, in, again, in the global north, we have all the means to do that. Um, but obesity is just one thing. If you look at the state of the workforce, people that go to work very gladly uh, and are very uh, engaged in work, um, there's not too many of them. Yeah. 20, 20% of the global workforce is, uh, is engaged, means 80% is not. If I look at my home country of Belgium, it's lower. It's about 13% is engaged. That means, yeah, 87% is not. Which is huge if you look at the number of people that are long-term sick, long-term ill. It is amazing. So we are not taking care of ourselves. Well, actually, you touched on a word earlier, and I think there's lots of things there that have come out, is the cause. What's behind all of this? So we, I know a lot of technology at the moment is being developed to solve problems, but 
what about going further up that you know up the chain essentially so this kind of cause management systems change um and i think when we or when i look at um how what are the positives of focusing on our essential needs our prosperity mm-hmm. and also the creative ingenious and our imagination and our limits to yeah. what that can be um versus actually what could be the the negatives because of course the rhetoric is going to be well if suddenly we go into degrowth then it's going to you know people aren't going to to work and we're going to cause mass unemployment no one's going to have any money but one could also argue that's exactly what the technological world is being designed to do now which is to automate and to, to reduce that human intervention. It's just that sadly the spare time you get from that isn't really focused on doing the fun stuff. Yeah, exactly. Um, it was going to do all the work. Well, we're already looking for people who will do the work. Um, we do have unemployment, but we also have a lack of people. We, how shall I say this? Um, many, many companies and organizations are struggling to find the right people. So there is, there is a, di- a discourse between uh, what we offer as jobs and what's available as jobs. Um, but the thing is that to be active, uh, this, go back to the flourishing. If we, as people, flourish, we are active. Now, yeah. I'm saying active. It doesn't mean that you have to work from nine to five. Uh, but it's being active. And a lot of the disengaged people, disengaged uh, workforce I talked about, they are not really disengaged. They are disengaged at work. So they're very clever. They go into uh, economy mode during yeah. my working hours. And when my working day is done, I'm going to release my passion and I'm going to be engaged in what I'm really passionate about. So it's not that they're not engaged. They're just not engaged yeah. at work. And then the question begs, that begs the question, why are they disengaged at work? Yeah, because the work is not fun. The work is not challenging. The work is not this and that. Um, and with all the automation, with the technology, technology doesn't have moral standards. It doesn't have ethics. The designers of technology do. And yes. if we now try to automate things and give everybody spare time, um, yeah, that's fine. But it takes away from the, the action that we need to do. We have to be busy. We have to do things. Um, and again, we talked about healthcare. The problems in healthcare are in large parts due to the automation of those management systems. Nurses have only X minutes to talk to patients, etc. That that was impossible 50 years ago, but it still took the time. So we're dehumanizing. Yeah. And that, that is the key word. We're dehumanizing. And if technology dehumanizes, it's uh, it's not a good technology. It might solve a problem, but it doesn't solve the problem. And you touched on Rona systems thinking. And yeah. absolutely, that is something that we lack. Uh, and I work a lot with businesses, but businesses are not the center of the world. They're an actor in a system. Yes. They're not the most driving actor in a system. It's just because you and I have needs. Um, we need to... Some of our needs need to be fulfilled. And then there's a private sector that says, well, I'm going to help you fulfill those needs. That's the role of a business. And actually, you could argue, why do we, why do we kind of crave or desire those needs? 
Um, because if 80% of us are trudging in and out of work every day and we're not, you know, we're ticking boxes and whatever, then I guess that's why, you know, there is an increase in mental health or people looking for alcohol or drugs or, you know, crazy trips or whatever it might be. We're craving that um, happiness, prosperity. So I'm really interested. Obviously, you you teach at um, uh, universities. What, What is the kind of... What are the students asking? What are they saying? What are they talking about? Do they, what are their views on this? Um, I, I teach at the, at the MBA level, so I have business students yeah. in, in a leadership position, but not the highest leadership positions yet. Um, and I ask a question, and that is, and I ask them to, to answer that question very honestly and profoundly, and they can think about it for a day before they answer right. it. And uh, the question is very simple. Do you really believe in the deepest of your soul, of your heart, that a business has a responsibility beyond monetary profit? So does a business also have a responsibility for the environment and for social well-being? Yeah. Uh, come back to me and, and answer me tomorrow. Okay. But be very honest. Um, most of the students think, yes, we thought about it. And yes, we do believe that businesses have this extended responsibility. Right. Uh, and then my next question is, well, does your actual, your current leadership believe that? And the answer is 99% no. So there we have the first hurdle. To, to yes. Take. If you do not believe as being the final responsible for a business and an organization that you have a responsibility for the environment, you have responsibility for social well-being on top of your responsibility to make your business flourish and prosper because a business also has to flourish and prosper. If you do not believe that, then um, we have a very big challenge ahead of us. And I guess that's the... That's the uncomfortable truth. And it's not to say that our amazing business leaders, and of, of which there are many, yep. are blindly turning up, doing their job, leading their businesses every day to destroy the planet and people. I mean, that's just, you know, that's not what we're here to do. It's not what they're trying to achieve. No, no, no. But that uncomfortable truth is that the system is around sales targets, quarterly figures, how many people read the article, how many people tuned in, what's our profit margin? And that's when you've worked in the corporate world, essentially, they're all your metrics, they're all your KPIs, that's what your bonuses is set on. And so for these students, I guess, to be looking at their leaders, it's it's like, how do we break that cycle? Because they're only doing what they're probably shareholders and investors are demanding that they do. Absolutely. And since I teach in a uh, business school, um, I contribute to getting the neoliberal capitalist thought out because that's what we've been, that's what we teach in business schools. We teach profit maximization. Yeah. Still, because that's the ruling paradigm. So my course in, in the entire curriculum contradicts other courses. Right. Already. So if we teach that and we keep on teaching it, it's, it stands to reason that yeah, once you get into that uh, really powerful position, 
you will focus on profit maximization because that's the way it works. And yeah, of course, if we have some profit left, uh, we can do some PR. Uh, it's very easy to fall into greenwashing. Don't do it. It can be very costly. Uh, but again, it's not thinking about the consequences of your actions. Uh, you, you may not do something, you're not doing something to harm the planet. Uh, very few businesses do that. But they do not think beyond what they're doing. So you do not see the consequences of what you're doing. And here we enter the world of materiality and double materiality and triple materiality, which are exotic concepts to most. But whatever yes. we do, because we are in a system, our actions have consequences that we cannot foresee or we, can, we don't have a feedback system yeah. of. And it's that sort of thinking that I'm trying to push through. Think broader, think wider, because yeah. uh, your actions do have consequences. You may not be responsible or accountable for them yet, but they're there. Yeah, and I think just quickly, there's two points that I'd like you to elaborate on a little bit, just for the benefit of the listeners. You mentioned double materiality. If you can just explain briefly what that is. And then secondly, as well, I guess from a business point of view, it's that full supply chain. So we talk common language. It's from the moment the ideation or the concept of a product. You know, I worked in innovation for four years and we called it the fuzzy front end. So from very, very first concept right through to the end of that product's life, that's the wider picture that I think you're alluding to, isn't it, around what's that full impact? What's that full impact, yeah. Yeah. yeah, and it, it, the impact starts actually with uh, in the design phase. Uh, if you've been in, as you've been in innovation, eighty um, percent of problems could be avoided in the design phase. Yeah. Um, and I know that you cannot foresee everything, so you, you will run into unforeseen consequences. But if you start designing with some constraints in mind, and before I jump into uh, materiality. Um, I'd like to quote Leonardo da Vinci here because he made a wonderful quote on uh, not on innovation, but on creativity and art. Uh, and they're very close. But he says that art dies from freedom, but lives from constraints. I, I love that quote and I use it in yeah. every course just to get the mindset right. If we do innovate and we say the sky is the limit, uh, we think we can do everything we want. And we can. Actually, we were an ingenious sort. We, we, we can imagine things and, and build them and do wonderful stuff or extraordinary stuff. Um, but if we constrain it already and say, well, you will be creative, but be creative within constraints. You cannot do this. You cannot do that. You cannot do this. You cannot do that. Now create. Now innovate. You have to be much more creative. And I, I love yeah. that. Um, so that makes you think about, okay, um, I'm doing an innovation, I'm doing something, I'm doing an action, and how is this action going to hurt us? But you can also say, how is this action going to hurt others? What's the impact going to be on others? Yes. Positively and uh, negatively. And then you dive into the double materiality. It's not just what you're doing, but it's also what are the consequences on, on the outside world? Yeah. Yeah, um, but therefore you need constraints. You need to build it already into your thinking and your actions, the way you do things. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's disappeared a little bit, but there's a natural step framework. 
it's got four steps and says, well, you shall not bring more um, uh, fossil fuels and then things from resources from the crust and from inside the yep. earth than there already are. Same for synthetic materials. You shall not degrade forests. Uh, you shall not um, prevent people from, from doing what they want. So there's a social aspect. So there's four aspects. Fossil yeah. things, what comes out of the crust, um, synthetic things, the nature itself, and then the people. Um, those are four big constraints. It's huge. It, it's huge. But it can be your checklist. to say, well, I'm having this idea. Do I need to drill or mine for that? Yes. Okay. Let's be more creative. So you see what yeah. I'm saying? It's it's we are it's kind of like it's, sky is the limit and it is not. It's kind of like being given, because let's be honest, yeah. Yeah. it's kind of like being given the impossible constraints of not touching synthetics, fossil, yeah. oil, gas, plastic, chemical toxins, all mm -hmm. of that. It's like, well, suddenly, oh, I'm just gonna give up. Because that is they are huge constraints. But like you turned, like you alluded to, as as humans and creativity, etc., um, we have to start looking at that because we are finite, aren't we? In terms of what we've got, we can only keep Absolutely. going for so yeah. long. Yeah, um, and and there's the paradox. As we teach profit maximization in business schools, we also teach uh, that your warehouse at one point is empty, uh, yeah. and what you do if you're warehouse is empty you have to make sure that you replenish it but you cannot always replenish it so the, the, the finite things are also being taught and we put it into an infinite framework so it's very paradoxical it's kind of like what we need is the the kind of mother nature's economics and that course around yeah. you know yeah. you know taking removing supply chain and just talking you know materials and raw materials and then just applying that across everything yeah, just to open people's minds i guess open people's minds and we will still have supply chains and uh, although i prefer the word value chain yeah because um from the idea the idea if everyone gets value from the chain that's yeah, the problem that's the problem yeah it, and the value chain should every step should add a little value to it um and, uh, but we will always have value chains because people will always need other people uh, and we will need materials. Um, yeah. So that, that's not going to change. It doesn't have to change, uh, by the way. But we have to be more considerate of the finite things. It is finite. It is precious. Uh, the way we treat commons is, is, is ludicrous. It's not because they're commons and they're freely available that they're not valuable. They're extremely valuable. Yeah, and, and yeah. I think we... Yeah, we sadly know, don't we, that you know, essentially, it's like having a product that you don't pay for um, and then, you know, getting massive profit on that. But the people who are essentially extracting those materials also don't get a benefit. And, no, you know, that's... And, and those are, yeah, the, the, the social issues of and the environmental issues of value yeah. chains and supply chains, yeah. etc. So, so, yeah, but we do it in... Um, I know that the degrowth advocates uh, really... Quotes uh, Jason Hickel a lot. Uh, yeah. Fantastic books that he writes, fantastic person. Uh, I'm really in tune with what he's saying, except the, the label. Uh, but he says our system is, is really built on appropriation and accumulation. And they yeah. will see 
inequality again. Now, if you look at um, the dictionary, just a dictionary, and you look up what is economy, what is an economy, uh, it's the um, is the equitable distribution or allocation of resources, mm -hmm. which makes it, per definition, a social activity. And economics is belongs to the social sciences. But yeah, but we treat it not as such. <laughs> Absolutely, and you know what? I think you know. I've I've read less is more by by Jason Hickel, and mm -hmm. I think it's such a huge topic to even contemplate that we would, you know, evolve into this kind of way of thinking that feels so historical and going back in time yeah. to many people. Um, I'll be you know, long gone before any of this, I hope, may may come to fruition. But but Jeff, honestly, there's so much here to deconstruct. Yeah, we'll probably have to do another chat another time. Yeah, it's, it's too much it's it's, it's it's very big. It's, it's very big. Sorry. But just the last just the last word for you really, Jeff, yeah. before we sort of wrap up and say um goodbye. I think what would you what piece of advice would you give your students right now or anyone listening that that wants to understand this this term and take a step back and look at the bigger picture? Um, well, that's, that's a very good question. And again, it's so complex. It's so complex that you need to, you need to take that step back. It's not how to do it. It's just take that step back and look at, you're not, the, we are not the central, the central part of the world. The world does not revolve around us. We have our place. So step back, uh, take a helicopter view or even a satellite view. I don't care. But yeah. just look, where is your position? Mm -hmm. uh, what ecosystem do you belong to? And think planet and people first. And that's why I, I call myself a planet and people first. And I put planet first because without the planet, there's no people. Yes. Um, and just may seem ludicrous, it may seem uh, childish to say that, but uh, without photosynthesis, without water, we're not there, we're dead. So we live thanks to our planet. Uh, yes. And then zoom in again, knowing that your position is, is not a central one. And of course, we are all important, we're all unique, but it's not, that is not a contradiction. And then go and see what, what system am I in? What ecosystem am I in? What is influencing me? What could mm -hmm. hurt? How can I hurt others? And how can I avoid that from happening? So yeah. I get. I guess what I'm trying to say is, get yourself acquainted if you're not with systems thinking, because that's the first Perfect. you have to understand to grasp it more. Yeah, and that can apply. Really is, and that can apply to everything and everybody. Exactly, Jeff. No, that's perfect, and it's a really great way to kind of end the show so listen Jeff thank you so so much for taking the time to talk to me and it's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you as well and I wish you all the luck with the studies and we'll definitely keep in touch thank you very much again for having me it was uh, yeah I'm privileged to, to be on your show thank you so that's it you've made it the show's over Thank you for being with us. I hope you've been able to take something away, maybe solve a problem, or just know you're not alone. Here's hoping it made you smile with a few laughs along the way. Please feel free to find me on all social media channels, and you can subscribe to my YouTube channel. 
just search the Rhoda Morale podcast. Have an awesome day and see you next time.